Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. bottom page 589 and he finished explaining that it's not enough to love Hashem or to be in awe of Hashem but you have to serve Hashem and not only the prohibitions that this should stop a Jew from violating a prohibition but he says even the positive mitzvot also have to be done with a sense of service because in order for us to connect with Hashem, Hashem is so beyond us, Hashem is so transcendent that you can't just approach with love. If your whole approach is love, ultimately you have to realize that there is an infinite gap between us and Hashem. And therefore you have to approach with respect, with a sense of service. Love will not conquer all, there has to be a healthy sense of respect, a healthy sense of distance, a healthy sense of sacredness, of holiness. A mitzvah is holy. This holiness is, is an awe. In the presence of holiness, you're, you're stepping on sacred ground. So when there's holy, there's a distance, there's a healthy distance. I am a servant, Hashem is my king. There's a healthy distance. So on one hand, the Jew has to be close with Hashem, like a child. You feel loving to your father, to your parent. But on the other hand, there also has to be a healthy distance. You can't have one without the other. Yes, you have to have that love. You have to have that intimacy. You have to have love. But you also have to have, to have that, that healthy sense of distance. Like those two wings. You need those two wings in order to fly. One wing is not enough. All love, you can't fly. All or you can't either fly, you need both. You need that healthy balance. But you need that's an essential ingredient. So for everything that you do, there has to be that healthy sense of distance. Even the mitzvah that you do, in order to bring holiness into the act. Otherwise you have no connection to holiness. You have no connection to Jewishness. Other religions it's all about love. It's not Judaism. foundation is, has to be a healthy sense of holiness, that Hashem is beyond us. And now he says, he's going to say that even if someone is not capable of feeling any awe or any shame, on the bottom of page 589. Furthermore, even in the case of an individual who even in his mind and thought feels no fear or shame, Example, an individual who is not moved by his contemplation of Hashem, uniquely bestowing his kingdom upon him, and furthermore, is not moved by the consideration that Hashem is scrutinizing him to see if he is serving him as is fitting. He knows it, but it doesn't move him. He could be a very brilliant person, by the way. It has nothing to do with... There's nothing wrong with his mind, intellectual capacity. He could be a very smart person but it doesn't move you, it doesn't inspire you. Yes, I know for a fact 
that Hashem, his entire kingdom rests on my shoulders. Do you imagine Hashem has infinite angels, and yet his entire kingdom rests on my shoulders? Everyone is obligated to say the world was created for me. And Hashem abandoned the heaven and the heaven of heavens. And I am king. I am like Adam and Chava. The only ones in the world. I'm the only, as if I'm the only human being in the world. And I am the one who's going to make Hashem king of the universe. So you know that for a fact. And you know for a fact that Hashem is standing right next to me and looking into my heart. And you shrug. So what? <laughs> you, it doesn't inspire you. Why doesn't it inspire you? You should be jumping out of your skin. But why doesn't it move you? Even in your mind you don't get excited. Why? Continue. Page 590. On account of the limited grade of his soul, originating in the lower degrees of the tenth spirit of Asiya, the soul of this individual derives from Asiya, the lowest of the four worlds. Moreover, Within this world itself, it originates from the lowest degrees of the ten sefirot that span it. Since his soul stems from such a lowly level, he finds it impossible to reveal within himself sensitivity to godliness, to experience even an intellectual fear of Hashem. His soul is like the toenails or the hair of the human organism. There's no life. There's no life. There's no... It's like dead. It's like a stone. Yeah, the soul of a stone. No sensitivity, no feeling, no arousal, no excitement, no inspiration, no movement, no inner movement. Just dead. So you can know, you can be brilliant intellectually, but you have the soul of a stone. Nothing moves you, nothing touches you, nothing, in, nothing inspires you. So you know this for a fact, that Hashem is standing over you, you know this for a fact that Hashem abandoned the heaven and the heaven of heavens and bestowed His kingdom just upon you, and yet, it doesn't move you. Yet, nevertheless... Nevertheless, since He is intent in His service to serve the King, this is unequivocally a complete service. Just because you're aware of it, and you made a decision, your intent is that I am going to serve Hashem because He is my King, you don't feel any excitement in your heart. You don't even feel excitement in your mind. But you're aware of this fact. And you make a decision that I am going to serve Hashem. He is my king and I am a servant. That's all that matters. It's you who have served Hashem. You are a servant of Hashem. Don't forget when it comes to being a soldier, a soldier, a soldier has to obey. A soldier has to listen. No one asks the soldier if he's inspired, if he's not inspired. That's incidental. That's secondary. What's primary is you get the job done. I ask you to do something and you do it. And that's all that matters. Just knowing that you're a soldier and the king commands you and you listen, you're a servant of the king. Your heart is not on fire. Your mind is not on fire. It doesn't matter. That's not what a soldier... You're still a soldier. You're in the army. You've drafted yourself into the army. It's a voluntary army. This is not the... <laughs> Hashem's army is a volunteer, all-volunteer army. He doesn't... It's not a dictator. He doesn't force himself. He doesn't impose himself on them. It's an all-volunteer army. 
So if you volunteer to serve and you stand at attention and you're serving and you do the right thing because Hashem asked you to do it and because He asked you to do it, you're putting on the tefillin and because He asked you to do it, you're lighting the Shabbat candle and you're doing all of the mitzvot, whether it's biblical or rabbinic, whatever it may be, because you're serving Hashem because He's your King and He has a right to ask you and it's an honor and it's a privilege for you to obey, even if you're not inspired, you don't feel anything and you have the soul of a stone and so what? You're a full-fledged member and soldier of Hashem's army. You're serving Hashem, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of serving Hashem. And he continues. For fear and service are accounted as two commandments of a total of 613, and they do not exclude each other. You see, even though you cannot say that the person has fulfilled the obligation of being in awe of Hashem, because love and awe are emotions. And like we learned earlier, in chapter 16, if, it, if it's not, in 17, if it's not emotions, full-fledged emotions of the heart, but at least, minimally, it has to be emotions of the mind. It has to be some stirring of the mind, some feeling, some arousal. If you're not a full-fledged, your heart is not on fire, but at least your mind is to some stirring of the mind. But here we're talking about a person who has zero stirring. He doesn't feel any movement. He doesn't feel any attraction. He doesn't feel any, anything. Period. No inspiration, no excitement, no movement. Why? Because he doesn't feel anything about anything. He's just, uh, his soul is the soul of a stone. He just does not move by things. Not easily excited, not moved by things. He doesn't, doesn't feel. He's not a great sensitive soul. A stone can sit there for years and it doesn't move. A tree grows. An animal has to move around. A person's mind has to roam and wander and imagine and think. So you have different levels of souls. You have souls that are alive, that are, full, that are emotional. You have souls that are brilliant intellect and are constantly probing and going deeper then you have souls like stones. Years can go by, no movement, no change, nothing. And they're happy, they sit. Nothing disturbs them, nothing robs them of their sleep. They're complacent, they're happy. I gave my $18 check, I marched in the parade. Don't bother me, I'm fine, I'm okay. And they're very happy, they're not looking, they're not seeking, they're not searching, they're not restless. Happy. On the contrary, with every passing year, they grow more complacent, more jaded. Some souls are just like stones, they just don't feel anything. It's a very low level, as we said, the lowest levels of the souls, like the souls of the feet. Just like in general, in comparison to previous generations, all of us are like the souls of the feet. Because even those of us who do feel anything, and those of us who do understand something, in comparison to to a genuine emotion and to a genuine understanding our understanding and our feeling is you can't even compare that's in general within each generation there are souls who are within that generation itself are the souls of the feet are the the toenails of the organism are the lowest level and there's almost no life in there but nevertheless they're still soldiers a foot is a soldier doesn't have to feel I'm a soldier I feel I don't feel that's irrelevant Yes, I don't, I don't fulfill the mitzvah of loving Hashem. I, don't, I haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of being an awe of Hashem. But I'm, I'm 100% fulfilling the mitzvah of serving Hashem. I'm 100% a soldier. 
And although this is just the minimum, it's like the opening of the pinhole, of the needle hole. It's the smallest opening to godliness, to holiness. It's this nullifying yourself before Hashem, submitting yourself before Hashem. Hashem is my master and my king and I am his soldier. That foundation, that's the foundation. In a way, that's the most important thing. That's the entry. Without this, you have nothing. If you don't have the love and the awe, but you have this sense of service, you're connected to Hashem. If you have love, oh, I'm such a religious person, I'm so intense, my heart, my soul is on fire. I'm a soul on fire, I'm a flame. I'm, I feel me and Hashem are like this, we're so close, I'm so intimate, and, and I feel my heart. But you don't have a sense of service, you have no connection to Hashem. You may be religious, but you're not, it has nothing to do with Judaism. Nothing to do with godliness. Nothing to do with holiness. You're living in fantasy world. You're creating legends in your own mind. You're creating... It has nothing to do with Hashem. This is the foundation. This is the cornerstone. This genuine humility, this genuine submission. That even if I don't feel anything, even if I'm out in the mood, and even if it doesn't meet my subjective personal... Hashem, my serving you is not limited to my feelings and to my moods and to my swings and my ups and my downs. I am your servant 24-7. Just like a soldier is always on call 24-7. There's no excuses for, well, I woke up on my wrong side, I woke up on my left side today, I'm not in the mood today. You're on call 24-7. This is the foundation. So even though you don't fulfill the mitzvah of love of Hashem and awe of Hashem, but nevertheless, there's a third separate mitzvah to serve Hashem. And that you fulfill even if you feel nothing. Not only in your heart, but even in your mind you feel nothing. Thus, although, page 590. Thus, although this individual fails to fulfill the command of fearing God, for fear must be felt in one's heart and at the very least in one's mind, he is nevertheless able to fulfill the precept of divine service by studying Torah and performing the commandments with the intention that he is thereby serving God, his king. After all this has been said, the Alter Rebbe will now say that although this person fails to experience the fear even in his mind, yet since he thinks about those ideas which should invoke fear, he is fulfilling the commandment of fearing God. So even just thinking about fear, the truth is not only do you fulfill the mitzvah of serving Hashem, you also fulfill the mitzvah of being in awe of Hashem. Just by thinking that I should fear Hashem. I should be in awe of Hashem. That alone is enough to fulfill the mitzvah of being an awe of Hashem. Continue. Furthermore. Furthermore, as a matter of fact, he not only fulfills the obligation of service, he also fulfills the commandment of fearing God by introducing the fear into his thought, by thinking about it and seeking to arouse it. For at this hour and moment, at any rate, there rests upon him the fear of heaven, at least like one's fear in the presence of an ordinary mortal even not a king who was watching him, when he would refrain from doing anything unseemly in the other's eyes. So even though you don't feel Hashem, you don't feel His presence, you, know, you don't feel any fear, any awe, or anything, but just knowing that Hashem is there, that's enough to stop you from doing anything that you're ashamed of doing. Even if a stranger were there. Even if it wasn't the king. If a, if a human being was standing in the room in, the, in your presence. There's certain things you don't do in public. You're embarrassed. 
When you're in public, everyone acts on their best behavior. Somebody's watching. If you're alone in your house, it's a different story. But when someone is else in the room, who is this someone? It could be anyone. Someone you don't even know. It could be anyone. But it doesn't matter. Someone is watching. We're in our best behavior. So, so even, he's saying, even if your awareness of Hashem, just because you're aware of Hashem, if it stops you from doing something, because you know that Hashem is here and Hashem is watching, even though you don't sense Hashem's royalty, you don't sense His presence, you don't sense His infinite greatness and His infinite presence, but at least you feel that someone is here. At least as if another human being is standing there. That's enough. If you have that minimal level of fear, of awe, then you have fulfilled the mitzvah of fear of Hashem. And he brings the proof from the Talmud. This, even the simplest expression of fear, is termed fear. As Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakrai said to his disciples, May it be Hashem's will that the fear of heaven be upon you like the fear of a human being. Whereupon his disciples protested, no more than this. When Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was on his deathbed, the students asked him, so Rabbi, teach us, tell us, you know, what are your last words, your last parting words of wisdom? So he said, I wish, I hope, I pray that your fear of Hashem should be just like you're afraid of people. They were shocked. What do you mean, fear of Hashem? Like fear of people? That's it? Hashem, the king of kings? Should be, we should be afraid of Hashem like we're afraid of people. He didn't say like we're afraid of a human king. Like afraid of people, regular people. That's it? So what did, how did Rabbi Yochanan respond? He responded. He responded that the proof that this is indeed a true form of fear is as follows. For you know that when a person commits a sin, he says to himself, May no one see me. So he says, Halavai, I wish... I wish your fear of Hashem would be like your fear of a person. A person you don't know. Maybe in your mind, it doesn't matter. Somebody, anyone, a stranger. But look, the proof is, you're more afraid of a person than you are of Hashem. Because when a person is watching, you behave a certain way, certain things you won't do. Anything you're embarrassed of, you're ashamed of, someone else is in the room or watching you won't do so what does that show that Hashem is so insignificant in our lives is so much not a reality in our lives that a stranger a nobody is more real to us than Hashem isn't that the fact <laughs> isn't that the truth that's what he's telling his students whom are you kidding halavai your fear of Hashem should be like your fear of a, of a human being, a regular human being, a stranger. Not a great human being. Not if you're in the presence of Einstein, you're in the presence of a king, in the presence of greatness. No, a regular human being. Your contemporary, a peer, anyone. Anybody. I wish Hashem, you would be afraid of Hashem like you're afraid of that anybody. And the proof is, this is the proof. When nobody is looking, how do you behave? You would do something that you wouldn't do if someone else were in the room. Because you're embarrassed. So what does that tell you? So get real. And that's what fear of Hashem is. Fear of Hashem, it grounds us. It means Hashem has to be a reality to us. And the same thing is service of Hashem. Hashem has to be a reality. 
If it's all love, it's, it's your reality. It's not the reality of Hashem. It's all self-expression. It's my love. I love. I love to be in love. I love to be close to Hashem. I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's me, myself, and I. It's all self-absorption. Let's be honest. It's the fear, it's the awe that keeps you honest. That Hashem is a reality. A reality outside of me. Apart from me. Separate from me. We're not talking about greater than me. Let's not go there. (laughs) That Hashem is a reality greater than me. That's a higher level of awe. Just talking about, let's talking about the simple. That Hashem is a reality separate from me, apart from me. Just like another human being. When another human being is in the room, there's another reality in this room. And I have to, I have to watch out. I have to take into consideration there's another reality. There's another person here. There's another being. And I'm going to behave in a certain way because I'm afraid of that reality. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of that reality. You take that reality seriously. There's another reality besides me. No matter how selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed you are, when another person is in the room, you don't say, well, I don't care what anyone... No, you behave in a certain way because I don't want to embarrass myself in public. I don't want to do certain things. I'm embarrassed. So you take the other reality seriously. There is another reality besides you. Well, there is another reality besides you. It's called Hashem. That's minimal. At least Hashem should be as real to you. Don't be so self-centered and so self-absorbed that you can't even see Hashem's reality. You can't, see, you can't see beyond your own nose. Hashem's reality should be as real to you, at least, minimally, at least as real as someone else's reality, as a stranger's reality, as a nobody's reality being in the same room. So even if you're in the room alone, if you don't, if you don't think of Hashem's presence, and Hashem's presence doesn't stop you from doing, behaving in a certain way. So all your love in the world and all your ecstasy in the world and your spirituality and your... It's all self-serving. There's no awe. There's no sense of real. There's no reality. There's no... It has to be grounded. It has to be respect. The reality besides you, Hashem is real. At least as real as a stranger. So he says, Halavai, Yiratsin, I pray, I wish... That my students, I wish that you live your life like that. If you live your life that way, that if you're alone in the room, you feel that Hashem's presence is right there, and you behave accordingly, 24-7, then I know that you're fulfilled. Then I know that you're set for life. Because then you're grounded in reality. You're, ground, you're connected to Hashem. You have that sense of awe. You have that sense of service. And that will keep you honest and that will keep you grounded, and that will keep you real. Because ultimately, the foundation of a Jew's life is that we're, we serve Hashem. From the greatest Jew to the smallest Jew, no matter how great you are, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how talented you are, to the simplest Jew, the cobbler, the tailor, the plumber, simplest Jew, we all have one thing in common. When it comes to our minds, we're not in common. Everyone has different minds. Everyone has different levels of understanding. When it comes to our emotions, everyone has a different gateway to Hashem. Everyone has his own gateway to Hashem. But when it comes to serving Hashem, we're all equal. The greatest to the smallest, we're all servants of Hashem. We're all trying to serve Hashem. And Hashem is so far beyond us. And we are just like simple servants trying to serve Hashem and do what Hashem wants us to do. 
So that's what keeps us honest. That's what keeps us grounded. That's what keeps us connected to Hashem. She said, Halavai, I wish that all of you should have this level of Hashem's reality should be as real to you as a stranger. This was the distilled wisdom of Yochanan ben Zakkai, who lived 120 years, saved the Jewish people from a spiritual holocaust after the destruction of the Second Temple, saved the Torah, the oral Torah. This was his distilled wisdom of 120 years. He says, and if you fulfill that level, then you have fulfilled the mitzvah of Moira Shemayim, of the fear of, of heaven. If the fear of heaven is at least like the fear of a human being, any human being, simple human being, who's present with you, if your fear of Hashem is at least on the same level, you have fulfilled the mitzvah of fear of Hashem. And halavai, you should reach that level, the 24-7. How would we act? How would we behave if we had a camera on us 24-7? I know there are people who, there are narcissists who, <laughs> who broadcast their lives 24-7 if anyone is interested. But nobody's watching, so it really doesn't matter. But, <laughs> but, but imagine if you were... But imagine if you really what? So they're still alone. It doesn't consider. Right, they're still alone. So it doesn't matter. So they can do whatever they want. But, but imagine if you really knew that someone was watching you twenty four seven. You know, even even in this narcissistic, self centered, self absorbed generation, how would how would you act if you knew that someone was watching you twenty four seven? You would act a certain way. She says, if you live your life like that. What does it mean you would act a certain way? What does it mean? It means don't do anything, anything you're embarrassed to do. <laughs> if you're in doubt, don't do it. If someone was there and you were, you were hiding, what are you hiding? What were you, because you, you, you're ashamed because it's, you know something that's not right. It's better I shouldn't be doing this. So act in a way you have nothing to be ashamed of. Imagine living a life 24-7 with no skeletons in your closet. Which human being doesn't have skeletons in the closet? Can you imagine if you were able to live with a sense of awe of Hashem, awe of heaven, the fear of heaven, knowing that Hashem is watching you 24-7. There's an eye that sees and an ear that hears and it's watching. Like you have a video camera on you all the time. Hashem is standing there watching you 24-7. Imagine if you lived a life 24-7, a life without regrets. No skeletons in the closet. You have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to hide. Everything is up front, inside like outside, outside like inside, genuine. No secrets. You have healthy, good secrets, but no negative secrets. Nothing to be ashamed of. What a, what a healthy life. What a wholesome life. What do you think is going to happen when Mashiach will come? Mashiach will come and says, the walls will, the walls will speak. You can't hide anymore. Mashiach will come. Everything will be open. There's no more hiding. Mashiach will look at your face. He'll see everything. He'll be able to tell you everything that you've done, everything that you're doing. The walls will speak. Everything will be knowledgeable. The whole world will become knowledgeable. Everyone will be knowledgeable of everything and everyone. Is that oppression? (laughs) Or is that redemption? For some people, it may be oppression. <laughs> Imagine, you have nowhere to hide, nowhere to run, everything is, everything is known, there's no secrets. 
that seems like for some people that may be uh, the worst. But for a real, if you're living a real life, it's the big. They have nothing to hide. They have nothing to be ashamed of. What, what, you have not twenty four seven. Your life is wholesome from beginning to middle to end. Even what you do in private, there's nothing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. Everything that you're doing, you're very proud of. It's healthy and wholesome. That's going to be the world of Mashiach. That's a world where Mashiach will come. There will be the fear of heaven. Everything will be open. And Hashem's presence will be, will be felt. If wherever I go... There. Very good. That's why that's why David's kingdom is forever, because yeah. David represents David is kingdom. Kingdom represents kabbalat all malchut shemayim, accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, which is the foundation of everything. That's why David Amelo says, "Even matzu abonim rosh pina." King that the lowest level, which everyone despises, which is discipline. Accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven, which seems to be very, you know, unattractive. There's nothing exciting about it. But this is really the Rosh Pinah. This is actually the cornerstone, the foundation stone of a Jew's life. This is really the, our rock of Gibraltar. This is really our eternal connection with Hashem. This is the thread that connects all Jews every Jew, the greatest to the smallest, all generations of Jews, from the previous generation to this generation, this is the thread, that a Jew has a respect for Hashem, a Jew has a healthy sense of Yirat Shemayim, the greatest praise you can praise a Jew is, that he's a God-fearing Jew. Not that he's a God-loving Jew, but he's a God-fearing Jew. It's the greatest praise you can praise a Jew, because it means that he's real, it means that he's connected with the reality of Hashem, consistent, and he's inside like outside. And that's someone you can rely on, someone you can trust, someone you can build on. Otherwise, love itself you can't build on. Love itself could be like quicksand. It's like a relationship. A relationship where all there is is love, but there's no respect. That, that relationship is very, very tumultuous, and very, a lot of turmoil, but no stability. And that relationship is going to lead to a lot of heartache and a lot of grief, if it will last at all. Um, but in order to endure the long haul, what really the glue, that really the cement that really keeps relationships together, it has to be grounded on respect, has to be grounded on awe. That's the foundation that you can build on. Then you can build, the building is the love, but the love has to be built on a solid foundation. This is the solid foundation, the fear of heaven. And um, this is what Rabbi Yochanan Menzake was trying to impart with his students on his deathbed. That's the moment of truth. That's when you teach your students the deepest truth. He says, this is the deepest truth. You want to know what it's all about? Fear of Hashem like you're afraid of a human being. Any human being. Not only a king, a great person. Any human being. Treat Hashem as leads, at least. as Hashem should be as real in your life, at least, as a regular human being. And Hashem is with you all the time. That's the difference. A human being is not with you all the time. You can escape a human being. <laughs> you lock yourself up, you go private, no, you're alone. But you're never alone. Hashem is always with you. 
But if you live your life that way, 24-7, then halavai, I wish, then you're set for life. Then you fulfill the mitzvah also of or of Hashem. Let me continue. Such fear held Rabbi Yochanan would ensure that they refrain from sin. Right. If you had such fear, it w- you would refrain from sin. There's no question about it. Because you wouldn't do anything embarrassing. At any rate, we note that this manner of fear is duly designated as fear of heaven. Because it distances a person from sin. Accordingly, attaining this level of fear through meditation amounts to a proper fulfillment of the commandments to fear God. Because we learned earlier, the mitzvah of love and fear, and not an end in itself, the mitzvah of love and fear is an order that you should be able to fulfill the mitzvah. You love Hashem, so that will motivate you to do the positive mitzvah, the active mitzvah. And if you're in fear, if you have fear of heaven, it will keep you from, refrain you from violating and transgressing the sins. So even this fear, even though you don't feel anything in your heart and you don't feel anything in your mind, but just the awareness, if it stops you from doing a sin, from doing anything that you shouldn't be doing, then you fulfill the mitzvah of fear of Hashem. Such fear, however, is termed yiratata, the lower level fear. And yiraschet, fear of sin, which precedes wisdom, meaning it is only a lower level of fear, a fear of transgressing rather than a fear of God himself. There are two levels of fear which explains the Mishnah. It says in Ethics of Our Fathers, the third chapter of Ethics of Our Fathers, if there's no fear, there's no wisdom. Wisdom refers to Torah. If there's no wisdom, there's no fear. So checkmate. Where where do you start? You can't start with fear, because if there's no wisdom, there's no fear. You can't start with wisdom. If there's no fear, there's no wisdom. The answer is, we're talking about two different levels of fear. There is a lower level of fear, which is the, um, leads to wisdom. If there's no fear, there can be no wisdom. But then when there's wisdom, that leads to a higher level of fear. And the difference is, the lower level of fear is what he's discussing here. You should be afraid of Hashem like you're afraid of a human being, a stranger who's here. You're just aware of His presence, and you, therefore you're not going to act in a certain way. You're not going to do anything you're embarrassed of. Because you know that someone is watching. Very simple. Someone is watching. So I'm afraid to sin. That's all it is. It's not that I'm in awe of this person. We're not talking about a king, a Einstein, a great person. Anyone, a stranger in the room, I'm afraid to do something that I'm embarrassed to do, that I know I shouldn't be doing. I'm just ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I won't do it. So I'm afraid to sin. I'm not afraid of this person. I'm just afraid of sinning. That's the lower level of fear. That's the minimal level of fear. Without that, you have no entry. You have no entry into wisdom. You have no entry into Torah, into mitzvah, Tashem. Then, once you start learning Torah, then it leads you to a higher level of fear. A level of awe. We actually feel Hashem's greatness. You sense Hashem's greatness. You're in the presence of greatness. When you feel Hashem's majesty, and you feel how infinite Hashem is, and you have a sense of Hashem's greatness when you're standing in the presence of greatness, when you're standing in the presence of Einstein, or you're standing in the presence of greatness, you feel humbled. You feel that greatness, and you feel appropriately it puts you into place. You feel very, very humbled and very, very insignificant in comparison. It really puts your ego into place. 
person can have a very inflated sense of self and but when you suddenly you're understanding the presence of greatness you feel like a uh, you feel very humble and very insignificant imagine you're standing in the presence of a king of kings of Hashem himself of Hashem's infinite presence if you sense that the tzaddik the higher level of awe once you already enter into Torah and enter into mitzvah and you develop a love for Hashem then it leads you to the higher level of awe then it's a question of shame when you're in the presence of greatness you're ashamed you're embarrassed you're, not, you're embarrassed you know you're not even tempted to do something wrong the lower level of fear you're tempted to do something wrong but listen somebody's watching I, I'm not going to do it so you check your you check your urge you check your instinct and you don't do it it stops you from behaviorally it stops you from acting and for doing but you're tempted but when you're standing in the presence of greatness and you're in awe you're not even tempted you know you're completely nullified your ego is completely nullified there is no I anymore I want, I want you're just completely overwhelmed in the presence of greatness and that's the higher level of fear you become completely egoless and um, now fear is actually very invigorating it gives you a tremendous it's a very it's very life-sustaining. It's not just suppressive. Fear is not suppressive. Fear of heaven, fear of God, is actually very invigorating. A person who has that sense of fear, you know, if you're able to check yourself and able to check your urges and instincts and able to check your behavior because Hashem is present, it, it actually invigorates you. How much more so the higher level of awe? when you feel Hashem's presence and you're overwhelmed by that presence and it humbles you and you feel insignificant in comparison and you feel egoless, it actually gives you a shot in the arm. It gives you a tremendous sense of vitality. You feel so alive. You feel much more alive, much deeper, a much more intense life than someone who only has love. Only, someone who only has love, love in a certain sense could be very superficial. A person who has a healthy sense of awe feels so alive, so vibrant. It, it's, it's really very intense and very deep. It grounds you, it wakes you up. And it gives you an appetite. It gives you such an appetite for life. It gives you, because suddenly you feel like a child again. You feel like a beginner. In comparison to Hashem, everything you've accomplished, everything that you understand, is suddenly you feel it's nothing. I haven't even started yet. You feel like you're going back to kindergarten. You're going back to pre-1A. Because everything that I thought I've already accomplished so much and I understand so much and I didn't even start. I haven't even started. It's like the... Uh, there's a Makubal in Israel. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, Rabbi Kaduri. He was like the oldest Makubal alive. Passed away. He was like about 107, 100, something like that. Very old very old, 107 I remember he came and visited the, the Rebbe and then he was very old um, and uh, he was born in the year 18, 1898 I believe and uh, in the year 2002 he gets a notice from the Israeli government he got a card 
an entry card into kindergarten. They had a card with his name that he can show up at kindergarten the next morning because the computers only have two digits. They don't bother to have four digits. So on the computer, he was born in 98. So on the computer, he was four years old. He was at that time, he was 100, 103, 104. So he had the laugh of his life. He said, you see, I'm starting all over again. I'm ready to go back to kindergarten. When you have a real sense of awe of Hashem, it keeps you young. It keeps you vibrant. It keeps you young. And any, any, anyone will tell you, any successful person will tell you, in any profession, that the moment you stop having butterflies in your stomach, the moment you become so self-assured in anything that you do, that it doesn't make you nerv- a little nervous anymore whenever you have to perform. You don't have a little sense of awe, a little stage fright, a little... You're so confident and then you, you've lost it. It's all over. You know, Reagan said he was one of the best speakers I ever heard. He says, even, even after speaking for all those years, one of the most accomplished speakers, he says he still gets butterflies in the stomach, you know, when you're addressing millions of people. Anything that you do, if you don't have that stage fright, that sense of awe, the sense of fear, that sense, that's what keeps you young, that's what keeps you honest, that's what keeps you hungry, that's what keeps your mind sharp, that's what keeps you learning, seeking, searching, keeps you alive. The moment you grow so complacent, like you say, the two worst pilots to fly with, you should never fly with the worst pilot, obviously. And you should never fly with the best pilot. Because it's arrogance, it's so dangerous. Person becomes so arrogant. Sure from himself. Right, so sure of himself and so arrogant. There's no fear left. There's no sense of fear. He's so sure of himself. That's the worst danger. So fear, ironically, is actually very. It keeps you dynamic. It keeps you real. It's very invigorating. It's not suppressing. It suppresses your ego, but it keeps you young. It keeps you youthful. It keeps you alive. It keeps you real. It keeps you deep, connected. And make sure that it doesn't get to your head. When success starts getting to your head and you become so, that's the most dangerous thing. So a Jew who has fear of Hashem. And the greatest Jews, the most accomplished Jews, the greatest tzaddikim and the greatest Kabbalists, they had the biggest fear. The Baal Shem Tev had such awe of Hashem that the, the, the Baal Shem Tev, when he would pray, it says his tzitzit would shake. Sittis would tremble from, from fear. He had such an awe of Hashem that everything that anyone that touched the Baal Shem Tev, I think the Magid once touched the Baal Shem Tev and he started shaking. Because he had such an awe of Hashem. You know, when you, when you saw the, the people who you would think are so close to Hashem, like buddy buddies with Hashem, they're like the closest tzaddikim. They, they're holy and they're so intimate and they're so loving. They had the greatest awe. They, they felt the presence of Hashem. They felt how great Hashem is, how beyond Hashem is. They felt so humble, so insignificant. And that's what kept them young. That's what kept them vibrant, kept them vital. It kept them real. It kept them grounded. It's this humility. It's this fear and awe, which is really the cornerstone. And it's really much more subtle. Because, you know, when you look at the letters, what makes letters? When you look at letters in a page, what, what makes the letter? What makes the letter? Is it the ink that makes the letter? No. It's not the ink that makes the letter. What makes the letter? Right? It's the space around it that makes the letter. But the space you don't see. It's subtle. The ink is what you see. Yes. Love is like the ink. It's, it's I love and self-expression 
and your personality and your individuality and your mind and your mind is on fire and your heart is on fire. And that's very important. But the ink is just part of it. What's deeper and what's more important, it's the space around it. It's what's not there. It's like the sculpture. The sculpture chisels out and removes everything else. It's the egolessness. It's the sense of fear. It's the sense of awe. It's what you don't see. That's what really, that's what defines you. That's what gives you character. That's, that's the reality. So it's the fear of Hashem, the sense of serving Hashem. This is really our connection with Hashem. And this is what he's trying to impress on us in this chapter. It's so important. It's such an essential chapter. It's such an essential concept in Judaism. Without this, you have no connection to Judaism. You really miss the whole point of what Judaism is all about. It's not, Judaism is not this new agey self-expression and love and a love fest. It's something much deeper than that. It's very real. And the foundation and the cornerstone is the fear of heaven, the sense of serving Hashem, the yoke of heaven, this discipline. For wisdom is an appellation for the fulfillment of Torah. What in as much as the ultimate purpose of wisdom contradiction between the two statements for there are two levels of fear. Irat Tata, the lower level of fear, and the Irat Ilaha, the higher level of fear. The lower level of fear is a necessary prelude to wisdom, to the proper fulfillment of Torah and wisdom. The higher level of fear, however, can only be attained after wisdom, which means after the proper performance of Torah and Israel. Hence, if there is no wisdom, there is no fear. Why the higher fear is a shame-faced fear means the state of being abashed and overawed in God's presence. For there are two kinds of fear. The lower level of fear, which leads to the performance of Torah and Israel, and the higher level of fear, which results for a proper performance of Torah and Israel. So there is a fear where you're afraid of sin. But then there's a fear you're afraid of Hashem. Not afraid of sin, Yirat Chet, but Yirat Hashem. I'm afraid of Hashem. I'm in awe of Hashem. There's a afraid of sin. I want to sin. But someone is standing here. I'm not going to do it. So I'm afraid to sin. And that's fine. As long as you check yourself, that's fine. As long as you check your behavior, that's fine. That's minimal. And that's the entry. And that's the introduction. But there's a higher level. Something you aspire to is to be afraid of Hashem. Not afraid of sin, but afraid of Hashem. Not afraid of the code of Jewish law, but afraid of Hashem, who's commanding you, of His presence, of His reality. I'm just embarrassed. Embarrassed of His presence. When you're embarrassed of His presence, you're not even tempted. I don't even want to sin. When I'm in the presence of Hashem, 
it really puts you into place and puts, gives you the right perspective. You want to continue? Any fear at all, however, is, i.e., one's fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot does not soar on high to the supernal sefirot who love alone, just as a bird cannot fly with one wing. Although there is a medrash that says that a dove, when the dove is tired, it flies with one wing. Here he says a bird cannot fly with one wing. So firstly, the Rebbe explains, firstly, the dove, even when he flies with one wing, he has two wings. He's just using one wing, but he has two wings. But a Jew who only has love of Hashem, but he doesn't have any awe in his life, this is a Jew who only has one wing. With one wing, you go nowhere. You can't fly with one wing. Also, there's some commentaries that say the Midrash doesn't mean that the bird can fly with only one wing. It means that one wing he uses primarily one wing, but even the other wing he uses a little, because he can't fly with just one wing. Even when he rests the other wing, you have to flap it a little, a drop, in order to fly, in order to soar. So too, in order for a Jew to be spiritual, a Jew needs a balance. The only way for us to soar, the only way for us to connect with Hashem is when we have this healthy balance of right and left. You need both, even though they appear to be opposites. Not only aren't they opposites, but they complement each other. When, when you use both the wings, only then could you soar. Only then could you achieve a level of spirituality, could you elevate the Torah and the mitzvot and bring spirituality and energy and life and godliness into that experience of Torah and mitzvot. So you need both in your life. A Jew needs a healthy sense of, of, um, of love, but love is not enough. You also need a healthy sense of awe. So only when you have both together, only then could you fly. They continue, for fear and love. For fear and love are the two wings, as stated in Tukunay Zohar. The spiritual wings of love and fear of God elevate the Torah and mitzvot performed under their impetus to the supernal sefirot, as explained in the previous chapters. When one lacks the fear of God and acts only out of love, he is operating only with one wing, thus making it impossible for his Torah and mitzvot to soar on high. You see that in life as well. You know, you have societies that are unbalanced. You know, there's a society that everything is love. But if all there is is love, it doesn't work. And if all you have is awe and fear, it doesn't either work. Fear is very good. Stage fight is very good, but not if you're paralyzed by fear. If all you have is fear, you see the education. The education system used to be all based on fear. You know, put the fear of God into the children. You know, now society has evolved. You realize, you know, you can't just motivate children with fear. Children need a lot of love. You have, to, you have to give love. And as a matter of fact, love has to be primary. As the Talmud says, you have to have right and left. But the primary force has to be the right hand, the loving approach. You also have to have a dose of fear. You have to have a little fear. A little injection of of fear. If there's no fear altogether. Fear is absent. You create an unbalance. That's why we have such a neurotic generation. Because they grew up only with love. And no sense of discipline and no sense of checking your instincts, checking your behavior. Just, you know, just all love leads to self-absorption, self-centeredness, addiction. It leads to self-destruction. It's completely imbalanced in your life. On the other hand, if all you have is fear, 
but there's no love, then surely you have an imbalance. A person has to have a balance. You have to have primarily the right hand, the stronger hand has to be love. But you also have, you have to have a little fear, a little stage fright, a little fear, a little, you know, to keep you grounded, keep you honest, keep you real, keep you sharp, on edge. Be a little on edge, you know. Don't grow too complacent. Don't become too smug and content. You have to be alive and real and humble and human. Otherwise, all you have is love. It just gets to your head and you become, you know, completely imbalanced. So he says you need both. Continue. Similarly. Similarly, fear alone is but one wing, and one service cannot ascend with it on high, even though it is termed the service of a servant, duly motivated by awe or fear. For there must also be the service characteristic of a son, i.e. service motivated by love, in order to awaken at least the natural love for God that is hidden in one's heart, so that he should at least become conscious of it in his mind. To recall his love for the one Hashem in his thought and in his desire to please to him. This recollection of his hidden love for Hashem should arouse within him a desire to please to him. This should be his intent when occupying himself with the Torah or with a particular commandment he is about to perform, such as that his divine soul as well as his vivifying soul, together with their garments, shall cleave to him as has been explained above. On the other hand, fear alone is not enough. As we saw before the Hasidic movement, there was a a very strong emphasis on fear and fear of punishment and Gehenna and, and, you know, very, too much emphasis on fear without enough emphasis on love. And the Baal Shem Tov, the Hasidic, Hasidic teachings teach a Jew that you have to remember that you're a child of Hashem. You have an innate connection with Hashem. You have an inherent connection with godliness. It's your core nature. It's your true nature. And therefore, be true to yourself. It's not about suppressing. Judaism is not about suppressing yourself and beating yourself into submission. That's not what it's about. It's like a child. A child-parent relationship. There's a love. It's being true to yourself, revealing your true nature. Judaism is about removing your surface, external shell, maybe cracking your external shell, but revealing your core nature, your true nature. Your true nature is you have a relationship with Hashem. That's your substance, that's your essence, that's who you really are. That's your natural self. Be true to yourself. When you learn Torah, when you do a mitzvah, when you do something godly, you do something divine, when you act godly and think godly and speak godly, you're being true to yourself. You're not superimposing a a lifestyle upon yourself. You're not beating yourself into submission. On the contrary, it's loving. It's the most loving thing. You're revealing your true love, your true nature. You're going beyond your superficial nature. You think your nature is pulling you to materialism, indulgence. But that's your superficial nature. Go deeper. Dig a little deeper. You'll discover like a child, a parent-child relationship. It's a natural love. The child naturally loves his parent because you are your parent. It's your essence. You don't have to acquire it. This is not religion that you have to acquire. 
You have to beat yourself into submission, whip yourself into shape, <laughs> suppress your, your, true, your true nature, your true desires, impose upon yourself a, 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 a lifestyle that seems so foreign to me. I'm an earthly human being. I want to live an earthly life. And here the Torah is trying to impose upon me a stray, an otherworldly type of lifestyle, a saintly type of lifestyle, live a godly life. But no, you have to reveal that that is your true nature. What you think is your earthy, earthy urges and earthy desires and earthy inclinations, that's not the real, that's superficial, that's external. Your godly self, your godly spark, that's your true nature. Go a little deeper, you'll discover that is your nature. That is who you really are deep down. That's what you want. Ask yourself deep down, if you're able to take an x-ray, what you want deep down, you discover that's what you want. Therefore, you love it naturally. Like a child naturally loves his parent. It's the most natural thing in the world for a Jew to love Hashem. Hashem is our parent. It's our father and the father in heaven. And we feel a love and we feel a relationship and a pull and attraction, a connection. And your Torah and mitzvot must be infused with love. If it's not infused with love, if it's all about suppressing yourself and disciplining yourself and whipping yourself into shape, and if not, you're going to go to hell and, and just focusing on the negative and... On, you know, on, on the, on the nastiness of human nature, and if it's all negative, it doesn't work. Primarily, there has to be a very strong sense of love, which involves your personality and your individuality, your mind, your heart, you individually. You have to have a personal, individual relationship with Hashem. You and Hashem, you love Hashem. You feel for Hashem. You feel Hashem's love for you. Hashem says in the Torah, Hashem loves, loves us. And you feel that love and you respond in kind. Hashem loves us and we can't help but love Him in return. There has to be a love. It has to be like a child. And that's essential. And you just have to reveal it. You don't have to create that. You just have to reveal. That's what He said. It's the hidden love. It's the hidden love that's there. It's there. Now, even if you can't feel it in your heart... Your heart is not on fire. You don't feel this passionate, flaming love to Hashem. But as long as you feel it in your mind, as long as your mind is moved by it, and you make a decision, based on that, you have the kavana. You have your kavana, your intent, that I'm going to fulfill Torah mitzvot. I'm going to live a Jewish lifestyle. I'm going to act like a Jew and think like a Jew and speak like a Jew. With the intent of... Connecting with Hashem. To connect myself with Hashem. And by doing that, then you can soar, you can fly. Then you are a bird that has both wings. When you break your nature, you know, you break your, what you used to, you need to go up on it. Break your nature and try to be, you You need both. You need both. You need to break your nature. But then you also, you can't just serve Hashem breaking yourself 24 hours a day. It doesn't work. You need both. That's what he said. You need two wings. On one hand, you have to break your nature. But on the other hand, you also have to reveal your deeper nature. Your deeper nature is that you love Hashem. Right. So serving Hashem has to be both natural at the same time and you have to go beyond your nature at the same time. You need both. Avram was the ultimate example. When Hashem tested Avram, 
that was the test because Avram was kindness Avram was love that's what Avram was all about love taking in the guests loving everyone teaching everyone sharing with everyone Avram Avram was the was the classical example of love Avram O'Avi the Torah says Isaiah the prophet says God says Avram is my lover Avram was the ultimate lover of Hashem but then Hashem tested him with the Akedah and what does Hashem say by the Akedah why is it called the test of Avram why isn't it called the test of Isaac Isaac after all was a sacrifice not Avram because Avraham, Isaac, that was his nature. His nature was awe. Isaac symbolized awe and fear and sacrifice and heroism and going beyond your nature and pushing the limits. And That's what Isaac represented. So for Isaac, that wasn't a test. That was his nature. The test was for Avraham. Yes, Avraham served Hashem naturally. And Avraham showed every one of us to serve Hashem naturally. Because we all have our natural passions, our natural enthusiasms, our talents, our abilities, our unique individuality. We have to serve Hashem with our uniqueness. It's not just breaking the personality, breaking the character, breaking the person. It's not about breaking. It's about loving. You have to love Hashem and you have to use your loves and your passions and your energies that God gave you. You have to use it to serve Hashem. Hashem gave a person an energy and He gave a person a passion and He gave a person a love and He gave a person nature. You have to use your nature to fully serve Hashem. Fully serve your, use your nature to serve Hashem. But that's not enough. That's one wing. And with one wing you go nowhere. Avram also had to have a taste a taste of fear, an element of fear, going beyond his nature, going against his nature. And that's, that's the lesson. Primarily, you have to serve Hashem with your nature. You, you don't spend your whole day breaking your nature. Primarily, you have to serve Hashem using your nature, loving Hashem. But it can't be limited. If you're limited to your nature, if you're not ready to go beyond your nature, it's when you're ready to go beyond your nature, that's what keeps you honest. That's what keeps you grounded. That's the other wing, the left wing, the awe, that keeps it all together. Then you have a healthy balance. But prime, that's why a Jew needs both. It seems paradoxical. How can I, on one hand, I'm loving, on one hand, I'm fear, I'm an awe. On one hand, I'm serving Hashem naturally. Like he says, reveal your nature, your natural love for Hashem, like a child to a parent. On the other hand, I'm a servant, I'm an awe of Hashem, Hashem is remote. And you know, for a Jew, not only is it not a contradiction, it goes hand in hand. As we express it in the blessing, when we make a, a blessing of a mitzvah, you change the wording of the blessing immediately. You say, Baruch Ata Hashem. Ata means direct. I'm talking, blessed are you God. I'm talking like face to face, like we're sitting face to face. You're talking to God, blessed are you. And all of a sudden, immediately you change to third person. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem, who's our God? What do you mean Hashem Hashem is right in front of you. I'm talking to you. You're talking to Hashem. Where did Hashem disappear all of a sudden? Hashem, I'm talking about Hashem. Hashem, God, who is our God? The answer is because this is the two wings. One hand, we speak to God directly, because we feel close to Hashem. We feel intimate with Hashem. Like a parent feels with a, chi- with a, chi- a child with a parent. And it feels so natural. It feels so real. It feels so comfortable. But immediately... We step back and say, wait a minute. Hashem is so beyond us. Hashem is, is our king. Hashem is so beyond us. I'm in awe of Hashem. Suddenly, I shrink. 
Hashem Malakeinu. I'm not, I'm not talking to Hashem directly. How can I talk to Hashem? Hashem is so beyond me. There's respect. There's awe. Malakeinu. I have to go beyond my nature. I have to go beyond myself. This is the healthy balance that a Jew has to be able... And that's really the secret of life. Life is back and forth. You breathe in, you breathe out. It's the constant back and forth. Like it says in Chayot, Ratzor Vashov, that that's the nature of life, like the life beat. Beat of life is back and forth. The, the life comes from, like the wings flap back and forth. It's that constant balance, coming close and drawing away. On one hand, the Jew comes close to Hashem, and you feel close to Hashem, and you feel so loving and so warm, and then you step back. You realize that Hashem is, you're in awe of Hashem. Hashem is beyond you. And that whets your appetite to come even closer to Hashem. The more in awe you are of Hashem, the closer you feel to Hashem. The less ego you are, on the contrary, it invigorates you. It, 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 it draws you closer to Hashem. Because the less ego you are, the closer you get to Hashem. The closer you get to Hashem, suddenly you, the more you sense the greatness of Hashem, the more you step back. The greatest Jews, the, greatest, the holiest Jews, the greatest mystics, the deepest scholars, they were more in awe of Hashem than anyone else. They were the most humble. They were zero arrogance, zero ego. Because the more, the closer they were, and the more refined they were, and the more accomplished they were, and the deeper they were, and the more intense, and the more spiritual, and the more they accomplished, and the more they achieved, they felt like nothing can compare to Hashem. The more they knew, the more they felt that they know even less. The more they learned, the more they accomplished, the more they felt they haven't even scratched the surface. Because it's so distant, it's so big, it's so vast. You know, it's like the story of the... We'll conclude with the story of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe in his town, there was a Magid. Magid was someone who used to give Musr, he used to give rebuke people. People would pay him people would pay the Magid to rebuke. It's probably unique to the Jewish people. I don't know of any other culture in the world <laughs> that pays people to give them Musr. That pays people to give them Musr, to give them rebuke, to give them honest feedback. I know companies pay millions of dollars to, give them, to get honest feedback. So this is, this is the Jewish people who used to pay a Magid to come and give them Musr. The Alter Rebbe calls in the Magid. The Rebbe was in Liyajna. So he calls in the Magid and he says, you know, it's not fear. You give Musa to the whole world, but no one gives me any Musa. No one rebukes me. What's he going to do? He's going to start rebuking the Alter Rebbe? It's like a, a ridiculous. But on the other hand, the Alter Rebbe is ordering him to rebuke him. He can't turn him down. He has to rebuke him. So obviously the Alter Rebbe knew to ask. He was a wise Jew. He turns to the Alter Rebbe and says, he says, listen, how can I rebuke you? Whatever I know, you know. Whatever you don't know, I don't even know. <laughs> the difference is, between the two of us, is what you know, what I know. He says, Rebbe, trust me. The difference between what you know and what you don't know is much greater than the difference between what I know and you know. And Alter Rebbe started crying. That was, that was the truth. That was the truest Muslim. Because no matter how great you are, no matter how much you accomplish, and the more greater you are, the more you accomplish, Hashem is infinite. And what, the difference between what we know and what we don't know, the gap 
between our potential and our actual. No matter how actualized we are, the gap between our potential and our actual is, almost, is always greater. There's so much mystery to us. There's so much hidden. There's so much hidden potential. There's so much beyond what we know and we are aware and we have accomplished. And that's what always keeps us going. It's like the story with the Temel Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He, when he was a child, and the Alter Rebbe raised him. The Alter Rebbe raised him personally when his mother died very young. She made a condition that the Rebbe would raise him. And uh, the Alter Rebbe observed from his window his study how the Tzemach Tzedek was playing with his friends. And the game was to climb this ladder, a very steep ladder. And, the, and he, he noticed all the children climbed, and then they got frightened, and they climbed back down. And the Tzemach Tzedek went right all the way to the top. So he called him in, he says... How, how did you climb to the top? All of your friends were afraid. And they climbed back down. You just went straight to the top. So the Samuel Sadek smiled. He says, Zaydi, the difference between my friends and myself, my friends kept on looking down. They realized how high they climbed. They got frightened. Look how high they were off the ground. They went right back down. He says, I kept on looking to the top. How much more I have to go. There's so much left that I haven't accomplished and therefore, I, I kept my eye on the wall, and I, that, therefore I wasn't afraid, I went all the way to the top. So too in life. Love is not enough. You also need a sense of awe. The sense of awe is keeping your eye on your potential, not what you've accomplished, not who you are, what you are, what you've accomplished, but what's left to accomplish. What's your potential? What's your full potential? There's so much more. There's so much more depth. There's so much hidden depth. There's so much, you know, we're a mystery. We're undefined. We're a piece of Hashem. Every one of us is a piece of the divine. It's so undefined. It's so infinite. We don't even know ourselves. There's so much left. There's so much mystery. There's so much left to be discovered and to be accomplished. So if you just look at what you've accomplished, I've accomplished so much, either you grow complacent or you grow frightened. Look how much I've accomplished. I better slow down. But if you always keep your eye... On the ball, you keep your eye on what your potential you could accomplish. And when you haven't yet accomplished, that's what gives you the strength and the energy to keep going. That's what gives you the life force, the shot in the arm. It gives you the energy and the vitality. It keeps you young again. It keeps you fresh. You're still a seeker. You're still a student. That's why a Torah scholar is not called a Chacham. A Torah scholar is called a Talmud Chacham, a student. The true Torah scholar is, a, is an eternal student, a perpetual student. The more you learn, the hungrier you get. He's constantly seeking and searching. He's never satisfied. He's hungry. He's hungry for knowledge. The more you learn, the hungrier you are. And therefore you learn with such enthusiasm. There's never a sense of complacency, never a sense, look how much I know, look how much I've learned, look how much I have accomplished, look how great I am on the country. The greater you are, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you are, how childish, how, how, how you're a little baby, you're still starting in kindergarten. You have to go back to kindergarten, you have to start all over again. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golas, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? 
how are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself.